This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The year is 2180. My name is Tyrone. The decades-long worst of the apocalypse is over, and I'm surviving, rebuilding, securing the world as we come out of this thing, hopefully be a better place than we were before. I'm in the military. I'm just a soldier, not an officer or one of the scientist guys who never have to leave the relative safety of their offices. Yeah, I'm a boots-on-the-ground grunt. You see, we do all the heavy lifting and the legwork for the army. Now, I'm not complaining. I like my life. At least I have a life to like. Our base of operations is in the northeastern sector, what used to be Manhattan. The military cleared it with bombs and fire. They bulldozed it clean and then built up the secure facility we now have. So far, we've not had a single incident of a zombie breaching the facility. I don't remember what it was like before the apocalypse, but I've heard the stories about how there were millions and millions of civilians all living in the high-rises in the cities, just packed in on top and beside each other like sardines in a can. Honestly, I can't imagine the way life was back then. It seems impossible, and I often wonder if I would have liked living in that world. I think maybe I would have. There have been a few search and rescue missions in the last five years, but not many. Mostly, we have concentrated on developing safe facilities for government and military. Housing for the few civilians expands at a very slow rate because there aren't many civilians left. And of the few survivors, there are more every day who get infected or just die of natural causes. There aren't many medical facilities established either, so a simple injury can cause death. The past year has been pretty quiet. Quite frankly, it's been boring at the base. Thankfully, Russ and I were stationed in Virginia a couple decades ago. We had been friends for many years. He eventually left the military but they found him stranded off the Florida coast in a boat with a very scrawny-looking dog, which is quite incredible since he would have rather starved to death than eat her. When they found him, he decided to join up again, so at least we have each other to depend on when things look bleak. I have other friends, but only one lifelong friend. The army sent him on a mission down south. There were ten men altogether, It was supposed to be some simple, quick mission to check out a report of a warping ball of glowing light in an abandoned research facility in Georgia. The location was top secret. After three weeks of radio silence from the group, well, I was afraid the worst had happened. My superiors were not about to send another group down to check it out. Said they didn't want to lose another ten men if things went sideways. I wasn't about to let it go either. Russ was my best friend. We're close as brothers, and I knew he would defy orders if the tables were turned. Now, I was warned not to strike out on my own, or I would be considered AWOL. Sitting on the threat for a week, 
I mulled over every way I could think of to get a rescue mission approved for the missing team. Three days of asking for approval went by with no change. Finally, I was told that if I was so damn determined to go get myself killed looking for men who were either dead or turned, I could go on my own with the army's blessing. That I could go, but I couldn't take enough supplies to last the whole trip, nor could I take a truck or a jeep. I was allowed a shitty, ancient motorcycle that coughed black smoke and rattled like every bolt was only half-tightened, and enough food to last me until I reached the first military post in southern Pennsylvania. The military posts between Manhattan and Georgia were scarce, and there was no way of knowing how safe the roads were between them. The extra fuel was strapped to the ass end of the motorcycle, but I knew it wouldn't be enough to reach my first destination. There were old defunct filling stations along the way, and I planned on stopping at everyone I saw for supplies. There's one thing about the old world. Convenience stores were plentiful, and so were fast food restaurants. Yeah, sometimes I think it might have been a nice way to live. Every convenience store at the tip of your fingers, I mean, who wouldn't like that? You're probably wondering too, why I didn't take Manhattan to New Jersey and cut down through that way? Well, New Jersey is a shithole. It's a mess. It's completely destroyed. The roads are all closed. So the best way to go is out through Pennsylvania, through the woods. The roads were deserted except for the lanes crammed with rusting vehicles covered in dirt. The smell of death had long ago cleared out. Even when I saw dissected bodies, there was no smell. They had all been dead so long there was hardly anything left. In Pennsylvania, I stopped at a gas station. The front wall had once been made of thick glass. It was completely open. The glass lay shattered and glimmering in the evening sunlight sending up sparks of light from the weed-choked pavement and crunching underfoot. The shelves were mostly bare. I found tins of beans and other few pieces of jerky. After gathering all the useful supplies, I went to the back of the store and found a two-wheeled dolly and straps, and so I rigged a trolley and attached it to the fuel rack on the back of the motorcycle. It allowed me to stack three milk crates and carry more supplies, and another red jug of fuel. More supplies meant fewer stops between here and Georgia. The first night, I drove straight through. A few times, I was sure I saw shambling figures off the sides of the roads. The sickly yellow moon didn't give much light, and there were clouds constantly drifting in front of me. The next morning, the outpost came into view, and I was glad to see the squat square building with guards posted outside a high fence topped with hurricane wire. As I drove up slowly, the ground was clear of blood and guts, which was a good sign that no Z's had been there recently. I told the men there what my mission was, who I was looking for, and they gave me directions to a lab near the next military station. They would know exactly where Russ had gone because the two men from their lab were ordered to accompany his unit. After sleeping for a few hours, I hit the road with a few more supplies. The lab was in Upper East Tennessee area. The men had squabbled over where to put the red dot on the map, but they finally settled on a place called Irwin. They said it had been a nuclear fuel production plant about 200 years ago. It had been such a secure facility 
that the military had taken it over during the apocalypse, and then had brought in their lab guys, the scientists, and researchers, to keep them safe while they did their work in the southern parts of the U.S. When I reached the city limits, the motorcycle spit and sputtered to a crow-hopping stop, and it never started again. It was just me, my backpack, and the badly worn dolly. The city wasn't much of a city. The main street had been cleared of cars and bodies, and for the most part, it looked better than the rest of the towns I'd passed through. It was late, and there were empty buildings everywhere to take shelter in. I chose what looked like an old courthouse, or maybe a town hall. An ancient jail was attached to the rear of the building, and that's where I went. Now it took about five minutes to make sure the place was clear, and I blockaded the doorways, settling in for the night. Exhausted, I crawled up onto a high metal platform that looked to be an old bed of some kind. There was no mattress, just the rusted and canted platform attached to the wall. The next morning, I was out at dawn. The Z population was nearly gone, I thought. It was a good time to be alive. And, well, I hope that Russ was still alive to enjoy it. He was probably hurt and holing up in a small town just like Irwin. Or at least I hope so. Now those lab guys, they knew Russ and the rest of the team. They also knew exactly where they had gone. When I left, there were several more red dots on my map, which led to a remote region in Georgia. And I had found a better pull along, loaded with more supplies. The men had warned me to stay to the back roads, which they had plotted on the map because the main roads were overrun with dangerous thugs who would kill me for the sport, even if I didn't have a tempting cart of supplies. And there were Z's quarantined for studying on the main drag. I didn't want to risk going that way, maybe running into a zombie who had found its way out. Now hours actually turned into days, and the days bled into each other. By the time I reached Atlanta, I was haggard, I was exhausted, and I was very bad-tempered from hunger. I had abandoned the pole along somewhere in Cowpoke, Tennessee, and only had the supplies and food in my pack. That wasn't much, and there wasn't much to be found anywhere along the way. As I walked by the vestiges of an old theme park, I marveled at the things people used to do for entertainment. Their lives had been so free from fear that they had made thrill rides so that they could feel a bit of fear. Of course, it was unjustified fear. There was never any real threat, I supposed. Could I have survived in their world? The real question, could they have survived in mine? I doubted it. They had lived pampered lives, they had been coddled far too much to be able to kill without prejudice when the shit hit the fan. And then there it was. The sound of laughter drifted on the wind as I made my way over to the center of an acre of cracked asphalt past the rides and eateries. I didn't stop, but I did listen intently for the sound again. It could have come from any direction. A few steps and I heard the sound again followed by a loud, resounding clang as if someone had chucked two pieces of thick metal together. And I turned, and I saw a movement near the edge of the park. 
Four guys, all scrawny, headed toward me. When they looked up and saw me, they yelled for me a hole up. But I wasn't in a chatty mood. They looked like the kind of trouble that had friends close by. I kept walking and they broke into a run. Stopping, I turned on them and unshouldered my pack. It hit the pavement with a thud as I stepped toward the oncoming men, who I saw were maybe in their early twenties. Now you boys, listen. You don't want to do this. I warned them. All four stopped, eyed me, then each other. Then they broke out in a laughter like the sound of a cheese grater on concrete. Well, we're going to do it, old man. Whatever you got in the bag is ours, or we'll stomp your ass and leave you for the crows. I shook my head and took another step toward them. Boys, you're making a huge mistake. I won't lie. Part of me wanted them to make that mistake. Part of me was begging for them to do it. You see, I needed to let off some steam. And they did not disappoint. I guess they thought there was safety in numbers. But not one of them knew how to fight. Bully, maybe, but not fight. And I have to admit, the ringleader landed a solid hit to my face. My lip got busted. In the end, I took everything they had in their pockets just to prove a point. I dropped it a few hundred feet away. It amounted to some antique coins and paper money. It was totally useless. A pocket knife with a broken blade, and a key ring with one key, and a chunk of bread. Feeling less stressed, I followed my course and ended up in an open area that was maybe 500 feet away. In the center sat the abandoned research facility, just as the men at the lab had said it would be. Now I saw no weird lights. There was nothing but the building, and a fence set close to its sides that had been most likely torn down. The windows were only horizontal slits near the roof. The door was a thick metal door that was three feet wide, and there was no window to see in or out. Circling the building... I found part of a mobile communications radio. It had been ripped apart, and all that was left was an antenna, the wires, and part of the shell. The canvas barrier, battery pack, and innards were gone. It could have been one used from Russ's unit, but I couldn't be sure. Reaching the large metal door again, I backed away to check for the warping light that had been reported. With my back to the setting sun, I saw a faint pulsing of green light through one of the slit windows. Now the door wasn't locked and I went inside quietly. The layout seemed like it was going to be simple at first, but the building was huge. A rendering of the floors stuck to the entry wall showed three floors. Two were underground and one above. The hallways were wide, but the honeycomb shape of the clustered labs and rooms was pure chaos to look at. There was no way I would be able to get through all of them in one day. Ripping the facility map from the wall, I wondered if there would be a clue as to what had happened to Russ and the others. I put on my elastic head strap with the light attached to each side to light my way and keep my hands free. Pistol in one hand, map in the other. I opened the first hallway door and started my search. Ten minutes in, I would have been lost if not for the map and I was still on the above-ground floor. 
Now I had intended on heading toward the window where I'd seen the light, but ended up in the back of the building before I realized the wrong turns I had made. As I made each successive turn strictly by the map, I passed through rooms with large computers and then rooms with hologram equipment, rooms with blood-stained operating tables, and empty rooms. Back in the hallway, I sighed with relief as I counted doors on my left. The slight thump from one of the rooms didn't register at first. Then the pulsating greenish light fell through a tall, skinny window, and I stopped. Turning to the window, I leaned close to see where the light was coming from. That's where Russ had been, and if I got to the light source, I could find a clue to his whereabouts. As I cupped my hands over the lights on my headband and pressed my face close to the glass, the green glow lit up the interior of the room, and what I saw shocked me so badly that I couldn't scream, couldn't breathe, hell couldn't even move for a minute. In the center of the light stood a creature that looked like a zombie, except it was much bigger, uglier, it was less rotten looking. It looked like a freshly peeled green grape when the light was on it, and like a skinless giant humanoid when the light faded. It took me until the light came for the third time to realize that it was coming from the creature. The walking nightmare was emitting that green glow. It pulsed like a heartbeat, albeit very slow, very steady heartbeat. The thing took a step, sniffed the air, and turned to the side. It repeated the action, and I thought to look around the room as it lit up again. Sweat pouring from my forehead and down into my eye, my entire body was tense as I tried to peer into the corners. If Russ had been here, there had to be some evidence. The thing sniffed the air again and then turned to face me. Its eyes were the color of tarnished brass, and its black swollen tongue flicked out like a snake to taste the air. I backed away from the glass, turned my back to the door, and headed toward a hallway that would lead me around to the monster's room. After all, it was a Z, and the way to stay alive and uninfected was to avoid the threat when possible. Besides, Zombie shamble. Surely I could outrun the thing if it came to that. But a gunshot or a brawl? Well, that might draw another zombie into the facility. Cornering out of a room, I hit one of the wide hallways that would lead me back to the exit door. I started running. Rounding a corner, I saw blood and muck spattered along the wall at eye level. Without slowing, I looked up, following a streak of blood and I tripped over something large. As I landed, the creature under me burst, and my hands sank to the middle of my forearms in warm goo. Backpedaling, I scurried off the thing and held up my hands. Brackish blood coated them. Slowly, I aimed my lights at the body on the floor. The name embroidered on the oh-so-familiar uniform read, R.E. Woods. Russell... Angle. Woods. My stomach clenched, and if I hadn't heard a distinct shuffling behind me, I would have puked. Russ's head was gone and part of his guts was now decorating my hands and arms. Swiping them against my shirt, 
I got to my feet and started running again. A few yards ahead, a door stood open into the hallway. I veered into it and closed the door, flipping the bolt for good measure. I had dropped the map, or more likely it was stuck in Russ's bloated gut somewhere, and I had no idea which door to take. But I didn't have to choose. That monster screamed from the hallway, and then the door squealed. It buckled in the center and then burst into the room clanging against the concrete floor and smashing the electronic equipment on the table. I pulled my pistol and unloaded five shots straight into the creature's head. Long fingers of tissue flew out from behind it and stuck to the wall. The glowing Z rocked back and forth, but it didn't fall. The scream rose to an ear-splitting pitch, and I unloaded the rest of my magazine to its head and chest. The scream then faltered, warbled, gurgled, and then died completely. Turning out the first door I could reach, I ran. Now I'm ashamed to say that I backed down from a fight, but there was no winning that one. Not at that time anyway, and I had no other choice unless I wanted to end up like Russ, a life smeared on the walls and rotting on the floor. I maneuvered through the honeycomb of rooms until I reached a hall again. Turning left on instinct, I ran toward the end, and then turned left again. Just as the short hall off in the entrance came into view, the monster lunged out of a room and grabbed the back of my shirt. The slobbering maw snapped at my shoulder, and I jerked to the side. The green light became so bright that it nearly blinded me, as the thing snapped its unhinged jaws again and again as it fell to the floor, dragging me with it. I smashed my knees on the floor, and it was clawing at my back, my neck, its black nails digging deep trenches, blood pouring and soaking into my shirt. My damn shirt that was so well made, so fucking tough, that I couldn't tear free of it. Letting the Z pull me back, I threw up my arms and twisted at the last second just before I toppled onto it. The shirt was dragged up and over my head, and I was free. The exit was in sight, and I bolted for it. The cool, humid coolness outside wrapped around me, feeling like the sticky breath of the monster. I ran until I couldn't put one foot in front of the other. And that was two days ago. I found another of the small military posts, but there's only one old guy here and he hasn't been in contact with the network of posts for months. And the men stationed with him had gone in groups of four to the same facility and never returned. And this old man stays, hoping they'll get worried enough to send out a unit to check on him. I know that won't happen anytime soon. Now listen, I'm not leaving Russ in there with that thing. I'm going back. I'm going to kill that monster. I'm going to give my friend a decent burial. You don't leave a friend behind, no matter what. <laughs> 